Hi, this is Matt Shaw, pastor at City Lift Church. If you're in the Fort Lauderdale area, we'd love for you to come visit us on a Sunday sometime or join us online, citylift.church. We hope today's message fills you with courage and helps you on your spiritual journey. We exist just to help people meet, know, and follow Jesus. Enjoy today's message. Uh, Today, we are going to look at the book of Amos. It's probably been a while since you've thought about this book or any minor prophet. One of the things as a pastor is you always want to give like the full diet of God's word, right? And so you might hear me preach on anxiety one weekend. I might uh, talk about, like my wife talked about seasons last weekend. I might encourage one weekend. And then sometimes we're going to pull out something that might feel a little random, but it's got a lot of context for us as the body of Christ. And today is one of those Sundays we're going to go through the book of Amos together. I'm going to teach through it. I'm very, very excited. All right, if you have your Bibles or your Bible app, um, or you want to just follow along, we'll, we'll get into it as well. But let's go to the book of Amos. Uh, there are so many parallels between the way that, that God works with the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, and the church, the body of Christ. And that's how we're going to kind of tie it all in together. But let's, let's jump in. I want to begin this morning reading from Amos chapter 2. And to give you the context now, this, this is basically why God says that he is judging now the nation of Israel. So it, it, the book of Amos gets off to kind of a heavy start, uh, but then it ends on a note of hope. And we're going to take this journey together this morning. Before we do that, let's pray and we'll jump into God's word. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Your word is light and it is life. And Lord, even in disciplining your children, you want us to choose life. In fact, in your word, it says, I set before you life and death, choose life that you may live. And so, Heavenly Father, we want to receive what you want to feed us and teach us. And so, Father, I pray that you would open up every heart and every mind today to receive your word that we might live and live a life full of abundance. In Jesus' name, if you believe that with me, say amen and amen. Amos chapter 2, I'd like to start reading... In verse 6, and this is where God is really prophesying through Amos, and he's delivering why he is judging the nation of Israel. And this is Amos preaching. He says, this is what the Lord says, for three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. Now, he's using kind of a phrase here, and it basically just means you guys have sinned upon sin. In other words, it's kind of a poetic way to say your sin has stacked up, and it's stacked up. And he says, this is what the deal is, guys. They sell the innocent for silver, the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor, is on the dust of the ground, and deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl and so profane my holy name. Let Let me pause and break down a few things. And so at this point, the nation is oppressing the poor. Back in the ancient times of Israel, slavery was different. You could sell yourself into this thing called debt slavery. And so if I owed Orlando money and I couldn't pay him back, I could sell myself to Orlando for a year or two years or five years to work off the amount of money that I owed him. And so God did not want this to happen, but this was a practice happening at the time. And, and then while I'm in this position now of um, you know, an imbalance in the relationship, the courts were now denying all of them justice. And God is saying this is a grave 
injustice going on. And when it talks about father and son using the same girl and some of the idol worship that they would do, a lot of the young women would, would really prostitute themselves out by the temple of these idols. And then he's saying father and son are literally sleeping with the same woman. And now God is dealing with this and he's judging this. Let's go to chapter five real quick. One last context for us. Starting in verse 10, he says, There are those who hate the one who upholds justice in court and detest the one who tells the truth. And so their court systems are totally corrupt. They're not telling the truth. He said, You levy a straw tax on the poor and impose a tax on their grain. In other words, they're being very oppressive to the poor in their society. Therefore, though you've built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offenses and how great are your sins. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes, deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Therefore, the prudent keep quiet in such times, for the times are evil. All right, let's go back and give you a little context here. So Amos lived in a place called Tekoa. Uh, At the time of Amos, Israel and Judah had already split for about 150 years. So you had the northern kingdom of Israel, you had the southern kingdom of Judah, and he prophesied from about 760 B.C. to about 750 B.C. His ministry spanned about 10 years, and he lives on a little border town called Tekoa, right in between these two nations. And so God calls him, and he's actually a shepherd, and he takes care of fig trees. And so he's really a farmer. Uh, He's not from the school of the prophets. There was a school of the prophets at the time, uh, but he didn't really come from that pedigree. He's a farmer, uh, and he's a shepherd, and God talks to him, calls him out, and he says, listen, I want you to begin to prophesy to Israel. Now, at the time, to give you a little background context here, Israel was really in a pretty good prosperous time as far as money went and as far as like peace went. They had a king. His name was Jeroboam II. What a name. If you're looking for the future name of your son, there you go. Good, strong name, Jeroboam there. And, and, and so he was actually a very good military leader. Um, but as far as the prophets goes, they, they, he was a bad king. And so he won a lot of military victories and there was peace in the land. And there was a lot of prosperity in land in that sense, but their hearts had turned away from God. It created apathy, it created idol worship, and so now they're worshiping a lot of the gods. In fact, the, the three main gods they're worshiping were Asherah, Baal, and Anat. And these were the gods literally of sex or lust and weather, which would, in an agricultural term turned into greed or prosperity, and then Anat, which is the god of war. Right, And so they've got these things really binding their culture. What I find interesting in our culture today, while we may not bow down to idols or stone statues anymore, there is no question greed, lust, and hate have pervade, pervaded our culture like, like crazy. And so I think there's some, some parallels there. And so God calls Amos to begin to prophesy to them. And he says, listen, guys, this is not going to end well for you. You think you're safe. You think everything is good. You think all the things that you've been relying on are going to work out for you. But Amos is saying it's actually not. God is going to judge these things that you're doing. And this is why, what you just read, this is what I'm going to judge. This is what I'm dealing with. The, the biggest things that God had an issue with, what they were doing, they were ignoring the poor. If you're taking notes, write this down. They were ignoring the poor, denying them justice, Right? And, and God couldn't stand the hypocrisy. In fact, through Amos, he says, is this not the very same kids that I sl- saved from slavery in Egypt? And here you are doing this, right? And so he calls out their hypocrisy. One of the hardest things to do as a human being is not be a hypocrite. It is so easy to see the thing that I have in someone else. It is so hard to see it in myself. 
This is why Jesus said, actually, your neighbor has the speck in their eye. You got the plank in your eye. And you've heard me say this a lot of times as a pastor. The body of Christ needs more thumbs and less fingers. Because my Bible tells me you have the speck, I have the plank. It is so much harder for me to move the sin out of my life than it is somebody else's life. Why? Because the hardest person to lead is yourself. The hardest person to say no to is yourself. Right? If somebody comes up to me, like if Perlene's like, hey, you know, could you get this for me? No. That's easy. It's easy to tell Perlene no. It's hard to tell myself no. Amen. Come on, I'm preaching and teaching a lot better than y'all responding today. It's hard to say no to yourself when you want that extra cookie, right? Come on. Like, it's, it's hard to say no to yourself. And so God catches them in their hypocrisy and he goes, I cannot believe I'm seeing this. And he calls them a sinful nation, which would have been crushing for them to hear. They thought they were God's chosen holy people, even though they're kind of playing back and forth. They still thought they were better than everyone around them. And God's like, you are no better than the people around you. And it's like, whoa, it is a a heavy thing that falls on them. And so he goes on to, to dealing with them. He says, you've allowed idolatry in your land. You've allowed lust to take over your land. You're, you're ignoring the poor. And the, one of the biggest things is you, you have stopped looking to me. You have stopped looking to me. And they would still, check this, they were still doing the religious sacrifices. They would still go to the temples. They would still give. They would still do the religious aspect. And in, in Amos, God says, I can't stand this. Why, why can't God stand that? God hates religion. Because religion is the practice, it's the motion without the heart. Our God is a heart God. He wants your heart. And he hates the disconnect between Sunday to Wednesday. Come on, guys, this is, we need this. He wants the heart. And he couldn't stand that they were going through the practice of honoring his name while they treated other people like this. What is Amos saying? He's saying that a real relationship with God will transform the way you treat other people. Jesus said it like this, love God and love others. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? And so in Amos 5, God begins to declare to them. And in verse 14, it says, God's literally telling them, seek good, not evil, that you might live. He is telling them where he wants their journey to go. He says, then the Lord Almighty will be with you just as you say he is, right? Hate evil, love good. Maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. Isn't that interesting? And then if you jump down to verse 24, this is where you get the famous line from Amos 5, 24. Let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never failing stream. This is where Dr. King got, got this line from, actually, from, from the book of Amos. So God is saying, listen, seek good, seek me, not evil. Maybe we can still repent. Here, here's what's amazing. Now, they, they never did repent, but I think this is, we're going to come back to this in a moment. When God deals with our sin, this is the opportunity to turn around. People think, oh, I'm in trouble when God catches me. No, you were in trouble when you believed the lie. That's when you're in trouble. When God begins to deal with you, that's when health can begin. And so he begins to talk to you. He says, this is what I want. I want justice. 
and righteousness. Now, in the Hebrew, righteousness and justice are very, very powerful terms and really powerful concepts. I want to briefly break this down. In the Hebrew, righteousness is the word tzedekah, and it literally means right, equitable relationships between others regardless of their position in society. What is God saying? I want you to treat human beings like they are actually a human being. I want you to treat others as if they are image bearers of me, which they really are. When you and I treat others in, in righteousness, what we're saying is I recognize you are a human being. I recognize you are made in the image and the likeness of God. And I see that. I see the fingerprint of God on you, and I will treat you accordingly. Amen? I mean, so as humans, part of our brokenness and part of our sin, we have a very hard time with this. And one of the things Christ is really restoring in the church that I hope we can be the light to the world with is how to love your neighbor well. And so this term righteousness means these right, equitable relationships between people, despite the societal difference. And then justice, it's the word mishpat in the Hebrew. And it means, are you ready for this? It means the concrete actions that you are going to take to achieve righteousness. In other words, it's not sympathy. It's not thought. It's not, you know, uh, 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 hey, that's great. I understand. It's these actions that we take to get to righteousness. How do I treat other people well? Again, Jesus, I think, would say it like this, love your neighbor as yourself, right? And so Israel never repents. About 30 years go by, and exactly what Amos said would happen actually happened to them. In verse 614, Amos 614 says, the Lord God Almighty says, I will stir up a nation against you, uh, Israel, right? So he's talking right to Israel. So I'm going to stir up a nation against you. 30 years after this, about 30, 40 years later, Assyria comes in, was a very powerful, very terrible nation, and literally destroys the nation of Israel. They take the people of Israel, and they literally bring them into bondage. And now Israel goes from the Assyrians to the Babylonians, to the Persians, to the Greeks, to the Romans. And there in the Romans, they were had, a, a, again, a very, very hard, oppressive hand over the children of Israel, and they spread them across the Roman world. And it wasn't until 1948 did God restore the nation of Israel after the Holocaust in World War II, which is actually what Amos prophesies at the end of his book. And so he leaves it on a note of hope. He said, I will restore the Davidic line. In other words, he's talking about Christ. So he's saying Christ will come through the Davidic line. I will keep that, and Jesus will come, and one day I'll bring you all back from where I've scattered you. But that didn't happen until 1948. That's, that, so again, uh, what are you saying, Pastor Matt? This is not a doomsday prophecy. Don't take what I say. Jump on Twitter and be like, it's all. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. There is a seriousness to sin that I think the modern church kind of has forgotten about. If sin wasn't serious, Jesus wouldn't have to go to the cross for it. And so when you and I look at how we treat others and how we see society playing out, and particularly in the areas of lust and greed and hate, I think it's always a good question. How's my heart doing? How's, how's my heart? What's inside of, of me? Again, there's parallels to the nation of Israel into the body of Christ. Let me spend the next 10 minutes. Let's talk the church. Let's talk the body of Christ now. Um, number, number one, the first, the first thing is God's love is what's confronting your sin. It's not because God hates you. 
See, my five-year-old, when he gets in trouble, he thinks daddy doesn't like him. How many of you know it's because I love my son, I'm willing to discipline him? Right? My daughter, Audrey, just turned eight, and we are in a sweet spot right now, man. Like, like we're a sweet spot. We cuddle, we laugh, we have conversations, we have her little tea parties together. I love it. She gets in trouble about once a year right now, you know? And it's okay. I, I love it. I want, the pa- I want nothing other than the pause button, right? Anybody seen Doctor Strange? I want the time stone. I just want to re- back to six and replay to eight, and I could stay here for 100 years, you know? I, I, love, I love the season we're in. My five-year-old son, he reminds me too much of me. Come on, somebody. Like, we get in trouble about once a day. Right? And, and we cuddle and we laugh and we watch shows together and we party. But when you tell him no, every devil comes in. No, I'm kidding. Like he just, he cannot hear the word no. You know, Daddy, can I have a Fruit Loop for breakfast? No. And I know what's coming. You're the worst daddy I ever had. I'm like, sit down and shut up. I'm the only daddy you ever going to have. You know, like, and it's just these, this torrent of emotion comes out, and of course, I, I love my son with all my heart. We're going we're gonna to get him there. We're going to get him there. But he, but he hates no, right? He hates no. And, but why do I discipline him? I want him to be a good member of society. I want him to learn how to love God and love others. Why do I walk him through discipline? Because I want him to be a good man. Why does, why does God deal with his kids? Why does, why does he address our junk? Because he, he wants you to be like his father. He wants you to be like him. He wants you to learn how to love others well, right? Why, why does he deal with you when you explode and cuss at everybody in the family? Because he wants you to be like him, right? Come on, like he's, he's working on us. He, he, in Amos, he actually is talking to the kids of Israel. and He says, listen, he goes, it's because I've called you, it's why I'm going to deal with you. In other words, the calling on their life was so real and so heavy and so profound. God literally said to Abraham, he goes, I'm going to bless you and through you all these nations are going to be blessed. They were called to be a blessing and they turned into a burden. See, when you and I embrace sin, the blessing on our life turns into a burden to ourselves and others. And so God's like, because of the calling on your life, I'm going to deal with you so I can get you to where I want us to go so you're life-giving to yourself and to others, Right? Why does God deal with the church? Because he wants us to become that perfect, spotless bride of Christ. Why does he address our junk? Because he wants us to get there, right? And so he's working on us. When God confronts us and deals with us, it's not, it's not his hate for us, it's his love for us. In fact, the Bible says, don't, don't get discouraged when God disciplines you, because everybody who loves their son disciplines them, right? So why am I even preaching this to you today? You're like, stop, Pastor Matt, you're making me feel uncomfortable. Don't come for me. Why are we coming for you? Because God loves you. It's his love that addresses our, our sin. Paul said it like this in Romans 6, right? He goes, what shall we say? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. Why should we live in it any longer? Your flesh is evil enough to use the grace and goodness of God as an excuse to keep on sinning. That is how selfish and broken we are as humans. I need God's help to become like him. And the good news is that is exactly why Jesus came. He knows that you and I don't have the power to take ourselves to heaven. We don't have the power to live like heaven without him. Can I get an amen? These are both works of God's grace. Getting there in the first place and then turning into Jesus. It's a process called sanctification. I'm not everywhere I want to be, but I'm a whole lot farther than I was 20 years ago and 10 years ago. Amen? So we're on a road of recovery. 
You and I are not the heroes of the story. We are the recovering villains of the story. That's what we are. We're on this road to recovery. I want to I wanna get there. Second thing this morning for the body of Christ, for all of us, I think this is important for us to hear. Loving my neighbor is a big deal to God. Loving my neighbor is a big, big deal to God. Why did God ultimately take them down? They stopped loving their neighbor. That is a serious thing. These are image bearers to God that are infinitely valuable. This is why he says, let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. Love God, love people. I think we as the body of Christ can learn from Israel's hypocrisy and then begin to search our own heart. Man, do I really, do I love my neighbor, you know? Humans are notorious for taking care of some at the expense of others. It's part of our brokenness. As Christians, please write this down, we will forever have the call on our lives to love our neighbor. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that your neighbor must agree with you before you begin to love them. I wish it did. I really wish it did. I, I would tweet that, but it doesn't say that. Do you love your rich neighbor? Do you love your poor neighbor? Do you love your brown neighbor, your white neighbor, your black neighbor, your religious neighbor, your deconstructing neighbor? Do you love your unchurched neighbor? your unborn neighbor, your single mother neighbor, your liberal neighbor, your Republican neighbor, your disagreeable neighbor, whoever you consider your enemy neighbor. Isn't that crazy? Jesus said, love your enemies. Isn't that uncomfortable? Does anybody else wish he didn't say that line? But he said that line. Love your straight neighbor. Love your gay neighbor. Love your literal, physical neighbor in the apartment next to you who plays their music too loud. These are just some of the neighbors you need to love. Loving God, loving others. They may not agree with you. They may not agree with the Bible, but it does not change my call to love and serve them and to keep my heart free from hate toward them. This needs to be said in the body of Christ. We are living in a culture full of greed and lust and hate. I don't want to be an echo of the culture anymore. I want to be an alternative to the culture. I want to be a full-blown, 180-degree, different path of love following Christ, alternative to what's happening all the time out there. 1 John 4.20, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Look around. These are image bearers of God, and you are called to love them. I cannot say I love God and hate my brother. Wow. Jesus said, I've come to give them life and life more abundantly. We want everyone to experience life and life more abundantly. You've enjoyed this so far. Has it made you uncomfortable a little bit? With Jesus, last point, there's always hope. Even in God judging Israel, he ends the book of Amos with, hey guys, one day I will restore you. There are consequences to your sin. I would prefer you to repent, but if you don't, there's a consequence. But one day I will revisit and I will restore you. What is God saying to the church? Church, the gospel will be preached to the ends of the world. Our mission will get accomplished. That's the good news. It will reach every man, woman, child, family. There will be a church for every family around the world. It will get done. 
and Jesus said, I'm coming back for a spotless bride. He is going to get the church to where he wants it to be in the end, right? He's saying, church, wake, wake up, repent, work on yourselves, get yourselves in love. But you know what? I'm going to get you there. I'm going to get you there. I'm going to close with this story. When, when my daughter Audrey was one years old, she was very afraid of thunderstorms. Some of you maybe have heard this story before. I've used it, and, and others, this might be new information. We've had a lot of new people in the last six months, so I can just pull the same stories I've used two years ago because, you know, you, don't, you haven't heard it yet. And, uh, and so the thunder is, you know, cracking, and you guys know how thunderstorms in South Florida can be, and she was so terrified of thunderstorms. And so she reached up for me to, to grab her, and I was having my coffee in the morning and my pastry. And, and so, of course, you know, I, I bent down and, and picked her up, and I'm, I'm holding her close, and her little arms in fear wrapped around my neck and held me super, super tight. And, and in her mind, she thinks she's holding on to me, but in reality, it's my arms that are holding on to her that are sustaining the embrace. In that moment, I really felt like God spoke to my heart, and he said, son, this is how it is between you and me. You think it's your power holding on to me, but it's my power holding on to you that sustains this relationship. Can I tell you this morning, it's his power holding on to you that is sustaining your life and your love and your relationship. Amen. How many of you are grateful for Jesus this morning? Man, I am. As I close, I have this question for you. In your heart, will you allow Jesus to transform you into his image? Whatever it is, God, change my heart. I want to be like you. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the book of Amos. Thank you for your word, God. Even in something as heavy like Amos, we can learn and become the children that you have called us to be, God. We want to be the bride of Christ. None of us are perfect. Every single one of us has made a mistake somewhere. But Lord, I thank you that your blood covers everyone's sin. God, your love is reaching out to every single one of us right now. And so, Lord, as best we know how, we ask that you would forgive us. God, we repent. We want to change. We want you, Holy Spirit, to invade our lives and transform us into Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you believe that, give God one more shout today. Amen. Come on. Thanks again for checking out our podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe. Share with a few friends. Thanks for helping us make Jesus famous right here in South Florida. Again, if you're in the Fort Lauderdale area, we'd love to see you sometime. Or as always, visit us online, citylift.church. Have an amazing day.